0: Magazine. Wow, what a great day this is for me and for you listening. Today we get the distinct honor of sitting with one of the most influential people in the history of the personal achievement industry and certainly one of the most amazing people I've ever come to know, Mr. Paul J. Meyer. Simply put, Paul Meyer is the number one selling author of personal development materials in the world and of all time. He has sold over $2.5 billion worth of materials in over 60 countries that have been translated in 24 languages. Just a single program, the Dynamics of Personal Motivation, has sold over $700 million worth. Paul started SMI, Success Motivation Institute, 48 years ago. He was the first to condense self improvement books and put it on reel to reel, later 12 inch LPs, then eight track tapes, then cassettes, and now CDs and DVDs. Paul has since written 28 full length programs and courses on the subject of goal setting, motivation, sales, and leadership. If all these programs were put into book form, it would equal well over 100 books of some of the most important and impactful personal achievement material ever produced. Here's what I respect about Paul J. Meyer the most. Unlike many experts and so-called gurus, Paul lives his preach. Paul does not hypothesize or theorize about what it takes to be successful. His life, actions, and results are the laboratory where all his principles were formulated. Paul has done it. You cannot question whether he knows what he is talking about. You only need look at his own life for testimony. We will hear more about this in our time with Mr. Meyer, but here are just a few points to validate his track record as an extraordinary achiever. He built the largest insurance agency with all of North America, recruiting 820 agents in 12 months at a time when the average agency was only five to 20 agents. As a sales agent himself, he personally earned what would be the equivalent in today's dollars of $8 million a year. By the way, this was before he was 25 years of age. He has earned between five and $20 million per year for the last 50 years. He and his family of businesses operate over 40 successful businesses in a multitude of industries. Now that is only part of the story to Paul J. Meyer, a small part in fact. Paul is also a devoted husband to his wife Jane of 37 years this November, has five children, 15 grandchildren whom he's exceptionally close with and is even influenced to all live within two hours of each other. And maybe the most significant about Paul is that he is a giver. The Paul J. Meyer Foundation has given many millions of dollars to charities and organizations devoted to making a difference. One example is the Passport to Success program, which he founded in 1984 to help economically disadvantaged students in Central Texas obtain a college education. A few years later, he joined forces with three other foundations, and together they helped 6,000 economically disadvantaged children who otherwise, despite their intelligence and desire, would not have been able to attend college. Mr. Meyer, welcome. Thank you very much, Darren. Now, Paul, with a resume that I just covered briefly, it would be expected that you would have come from well-to-do parents and was equipped with an Ivy League education. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about your parents, where
1: and how you lived
0: growing up, and your
1: educational background? My mother's family is from uh, Scotland. My father's from Germany. We lived in uh, San Jose, California, or actually Campbell, out in California, and uh, Well, we were the opposite of what you just described. I guess it would be more closely said we were the poorest family in town. My parents, when they were married, lived in a tent. And uh, I think you may have seen a picture of that sometime. That's right. And uh, as far as uh, myself, we, we lived most of the time in a garage. And what I remember most about it was being taken out to the fields to work with migrant farm workers at age six. And I made a nickel that day picking prunes. And then uh, ten years later, set a world record picking prunes—one hundred and one boxes. <laughs>
0: yeah, and the Paul and, J. Meyer uh, story began then. Now you joined the uh, the, the the army, and i uh, heard a very interesting story about uh, them wanting to ship you off overseas, and uh, you made a bargain with uh, with your superior officer. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and then what it is that you
1: had to do? Yes, I we got a report on the bulletin board that said everybody's going to Japan. And I saw the colonel's light on one night, and I said, uh, I knocked knocked on the door, and I came in, and of course, he sees my name on there, and I'm a private, and he said, what do you want, Meyer? And I said, well, I'd like to know what you'd have to do not to go to Japan. And he said, look, I take my orders like everybody else. And I said, sir, you didn't didn't answer my question. And then he said, uh, this was his exact words, he said, well, it'd have to be something pretty damn spectacular. And I said, sir, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's what I do. And then he busted out laughing. And he said, are you the kid I've heard around here that's a pretty good athlete? I said, I suppose so. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. He said, the United States military uh, records are coming up here in about three weeks. It's like a decathlon. He said, if you break all those records, you can stay here and be a physical fitness person. And I did. For example, I did uh, 81 push-ups on one arm. I did 3,500 sit-ups without stopping and uh, so on and so on and so on. Anyway, I, I, I did it and I stayed there. Why do you think
0: you were able to do that when, when other of of your uh, of your colleagues weren't able to achieve those feats? What was different about how you approached it, or um, you know?
1: I, I I enter every everything I get involved in, no matter what it is, without giving mental recognition of the possibility of defeat. Like when I am selling, if you said I sell, if I, for example, I've never been second in a contest in my life, any anyone I've ever entered, and doesn't matter what it is, and it's just an attitude. Uh, I think that's the best thing you can, you can say about it. I have a no limitations belief in my creator, and no limitations belief in myself, and no limitations belief in other people, and a no, no limitations belief in what we can do together. Every Every day is that way for me. And again, just taking the trip down
0: the uh, the road of your life here, you know, your, your life is such a testimony to what it is that you're talking about. Describe your process of, of trying to work for an insur- insurance agency. Well I think the
1: best thing is uh, uh, uh that's what I would have loved to do is just work for one and uh I didn't get that opportunity I went to fifty seven companies before I got a job and uh the, there was only fifty seven companies in town the last one gave me a job and uh, it was a weekly premium debit and they sent me out in the country and uh, that's where I started and uh and that here's what's significant about that to the people that are listening listening to this information is that ninety percent of all failure comes from quitting. I never thought about quitting. It's never, never, never dawned on me. I set a goal to sell life insurance and I was going to sell life insurance but hair lipped the governor. It didn't make any difference. If there were obstacles, I went over the obstacles. If there's a wall, I was going to go through it. If I heard a no, it didn't make any difference to me. Uh, I had had a healthy self-image when I called on the first insurance company. When I called on the 57th one, my self-image was just as good as it was the first one, even though there was, what do you say, 55 rejections in between. Now, they gave
0: you a pretty bad territory and very difficult circumstances to be successful. And this is what I really want to have you share. You became the number one insurance salesperson in all of North America from those very beginnings at a very young age. There are a lot of people listening to this that sell something, either, either it's ideas or whether it's leadership or whether it's communication or, or their vision, you know, and, and selling is a part of, of, of our daily lives. What did you do to
1: become so successful in the areas of sales and, and what can be passed on to our listener? Uh, one thing, I mastered the subject that I was selling, knew it inside out and backwards. Also, I'm very organized with my, with my sales tools, sales visions, and everything I work. Also, people call me the master of time organization. I always spend time evaluating the time cost of what I do. For example, there's 288 working days in a year, and if you work 10 hours a day, that's 2,880 hours. Take your income divided by that and then uh, that's, how, that's, that's what you're really worth per hour. But as far as the selling is concerned, uh, the most valuable thing I can do with my time is being face-to-face with a, a Class A prospect whom I've been sent to see by somebody to have respect for and time to tell my story under favorable conditions, and they have money to buy. The second most important thing I can do with my time is getting on the phone and getting more appointments to do that, and the third most important thing I can do with my time would be to get some names, getting some more names to be able to do that. In other words, I stay my ability to 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 beat everybody was staying totally focused, and then outworking everybody, and then and then I'm kind of what you call an inverted paranoid. Uh, I just believe everybody in the world uh, is going is out to get me and help me do whatever I want to do. I think everybody wants to be my partner. I think everybody wants to be my customer. Uh, when I walk up to a door, I visualize a, ro- a red carpet rolled out and two trumpeters stand on each side and the person inside waiting to do business with me because he not only wants to buy from me, he wants to be my friend. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And there are a lot of people that are trying to enroll people in their in their businesses and their ideas and their products, so obviously recruiting and, and influencing people to that level is an important topic. You know, How did you
1: do it? Well, I'll give you a little little negative about people trying to stop you from doing something creative or getting outside the box or living outside the square. Two men from two of the great big companies invited me to lunch and said, young man, I know you're a good salesperson, but you're recruiting too many salespeople. The average agency can't operate with more than about 10. What are you doing with so many? And by then, I only had about 50. And uh, my attitude has been, if you live on planet Earth and you don't get a chance to associate with me, you're going to miss something, baby. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, that's an, that's an attitude. Paul, what led
0: you into the self-improvement, personal development business?
1: One day, uh, my pastor friend, uh, Bill Henson, and I were calling on the mayor of Miami, Florida. His name was Randy Christmas, and we were in his home. I sold him a life insurance policy in about 30 minutes, but I stayed for three hours afterward, and he kept asking me question after question after question, and I more or less reorganized his whole life. I took some butcher paper in his kitchen. And laid it out and, and uh, divided it into six areas, physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, financially, in your family. Short-range goals, long-range goals, tangible goals, intangible goals, obstacles, roadblocks, the way around them. And then when I got through that night and got home, on the way home, Bill said, you used your intellectual mind to sell him the insurance, but he said you used, you, you used passion. He said you were on fire. He said just magic came out of you when you talked to him about it, what he could do with his life. And you told him he could have anything he wanted to have, be anything he wanted to be, and go anywhere he wanted to go. And uh, uh, he said it was amazing to watch. And he said, it's changed my life watching you talk to him. And he said, you, Paul J. Meyer, need to be in the self-improvement business or the personal development business or call it whatever you want to call it. And I said, well, easy for you to say. I'm, I make a lot I make a fortune in the insurance business and he said well I went to school in Waco Texas with a guy that has a recording uh, studio in business he said you can go learn and take these reel-to-reel tapes you got and the two of you get together he needs some help in his business and marketing and you can you can learn what he knows and uh, it'll be synergistic it'll be a good thing so that's what I did I moved to Waco Texas and helped them and in the process started Success Motivation Institute Wow, and that was 48 years
0: ago, Paul. And yeah, yeah, 48 years ago. What a legacy it has been. I mean, I, I truly call you, for sure, one of the legends of the entire industry, and uh you you've made incredible contributions to people's lives. So, Paul, one of the things I like to do in these feature profile interviews is to learn a little bit more about the person behind the personality and your own personal development habits, behaviors, and lifestyle. So I'd like to ask you, you know, Paul J. Meyer, the, the founder of Success Motivation Institute. How do you keep yourself motivated, and what is your goal-writing and accountability system
1: even today? Well, I keep myself motivated with the same exact goals program that I had when I was a kid and when I started selling insurance. Nothing, nothing's changed. I sit down at the first of every year and uh, sit down with Jane and figure out what we want to do the next year. I put that down first. Second, I put down what I want to do with my family Third, I put down what I'm going to do with the charities and ministries I'm involved in. And then next, I put down the business. And I build the business around it. And then I always have a system to inspect what I expect. And I break everything into important and imperative. Like, important is what I'm going to be doing today. And I'm going to get it done if it hairlips the governor. The imperative is what I get done today. And the important is what I'm going to get done in a week. And I check and double check and double check. And I'll say again and again and again, everybody that's listening to this CD, that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And that means your own life and as well as your business or including anybody else's life or practices. I know exactly how many phone calls I make in a month. I know how many presentations I make. I know what my closing average is. I know how long it takes me to make a presentation. I know what percentage of the leads I sell, you have to keep up the statistics and I call it the ROMARS, the record of my activities report. And uh and I stay motivated because I have I have tangible goals and intangible goals. As I got older and older and older, you know, after you fill all of the all the typical goals, you know, a home and a and a car and education for your kids and all these other things, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. Um, then I found myself making contributions to the community and then making contributions to the world. And that's why we started that Passport to Success program. And uh, like we said, uh, uh, Jane and myself and about four other families have instrumental in helping over 6,000 kids get an education. And we started a home there for domestic violence. We We feed 154 people uh, every morning. Uh, that's what motivates me. And I, I set a goal. You're going to love this one, Darren. When I was about 50 years old, I thought it was silly when I wrote it down. I thought, well, I sure better not show this to anybody. They'll think I'm a nut. Because I was doing so well then. And I said, uh, I'm going to make more between age 70 and 80, uh, that decade of my life, than I have any previous decade. Even though I'd be older and you say I have less energy. Well, I actually, uh, uh, last year, uh, this, this, this last decade, and I'll be 80 in two months. So let's say this last decade... Uh, I've made five times more than any previous decade. Wow. So, Paul, one of the other exceptional stories
0: about setting a goal and achieving what I would think would be just, you know, impossible is when you were in your 40s, you decided all of a sudden that you were going to become a championship tennis player. Can you just tell a little about that story and what it is you did to actually achieve that objective? Well,
1: here's the reason I did it. I I was trying to recruit some people, and they were about my age, and they said, well, I'm too old to do this, and I I don't know, for some reason reason or rather, over about a 30-day period... I ran into a whole bunch of people at different ages, said, well, I'm too old for this. It's too late. I have missed the boat. I've done this. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I was 47 years old. I'm going to start playing tennis, I'm going to end up being a champion tennis player. So I contacted Rod Lever, who was the number one player in the world, and I took lessons from him. And then Roy Emerson, who was in, who'd won more tournaments than anybody else, took lessons from him. And then, uh, Russell Seymour is the number one player in the world my age. I went and took about 200 lessons for him. And then I found out who was the number one player in the state of Texas. That was, that was, uh, Robert Tro- Trogolo. We even built a whole tennis club just so I could. And then I found a guy from India that made a, made a computerized, uh, ball machine. Uh, where I could could, uh, program your game into it and then learn how to beat you by beating the machine. And it would shoot the same balls at me that you would hit at me. Anyway, within five years, I won the Dallas Open and was one of the top-ranked players in the country in my age group yeah i
0: mean amazing
1: but if you if you think about it uh, I, I, if you think about all i did that was that was putting it down in writing setting a goal listing the and ob- ob- roadblocks and then finding the way around them doing the exercise i need to do it and then hitting uh, uh i know one time i was in acapulco and i listen to this i actually booked 21 tennis matches in seven days we're talking we're not talking about uh 21 sets or 21 games. That's 21 matches. That's three matches a day for seven days in a row. Wow. And I was uh, over 50 years of age at the time. But that's what I was willing to do to learn what I had to do to be a champion and be the best. And another thing, I used affirmations. I got a, a wood-burning set and burned in. It says, I'm a champion tennis player. And that was on day one. I still have that sign. So, Paul, you know, the other thing that,
0: that fascinates me about you is that you get more done in a day than most people get done in a month. But how do you how do you balance work and family? I mean, you've you've had this incredible business career, but but I know your family very well. And, and there's such an, uh, a wonderful relationship between not only your 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 wife, but your kids and then all your grandkids. How do you manage work and, and family and personal life?
1: it all has to do with priorities i put god first i put my wife second i put the kids third i put my physical fitness fourth i put my business fifth and then i i set goals in each of those areas and uh at the first of every year and like for the next five years and uh for example uh tomorrow i have uh our, our oldest daughter and her husband coming down here to cayman i've got my oldest son who's a district judge in waco he's coming down here sunday for a week uh, in June, they'll all be coming down here and spending some time together. We have uh, five kids and 15 grandchildren. We all live within about 30 minutes of each other, and we just make that a big, a big priority. And it's a matter of priorities and choices and and uh, putting things first. And here's what I found out: when when you have the right balance in your life, uh, then everything seems to work out, and you all and you're always going to have time to get that business done. So, Paul,
0: you know, 37 years you've been married, and I've seen the magic between you and Jane. How do you do it? What's a tip or idea that you could share that uh, helps bring magic to marriage?
1: Well, one thing, I've sent her flowers every week for the last 37 years. Uh, Second, I wrote down when we got married that I was going to treat her the same for a lifetime that I did during the courtship. And whatever we did then, I just keep on doing and uh, then I, I set a goal every morning to make her queen for a day, and she's made me a king for a life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I I tell her probably 10 times a day that I love her. And uh, we get up. We have a real special time when we get up in the morning. We go out on our back porch, and we have uh, breakfast together, and uh, we talk. We spend we spend time in exchange and talk about what we're going to do that day and and, and so on. And then uh, it's the same same thing in the evening. We get together, sit down. We spend an hour just sitting together talking every single evening. Um, with no TV, no nothing. We spend an hour talking. And uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we do have a magical marriage. All of our kids, even our friends say, wow, you guys are just like two kids.
0: Yeah, I've seen it. I can testify to that.
1: One of the things that I've also
0: observed is that, you know, you, you have a process, and, and that process has helped you become more productive than than anybody else that I know. So, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about how you get the day started and, and then
1: maybe some things that you do? When I go in the office, it's already outlined for me what my priorities are, and that's the imperative that I wrote down the day before that I was going to do this day. And and here's the secret of that. You cannot, be, you cannot let interruptions get in the way. And you have to say no to projects you're not interested in. And because I know the value of my time, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of other things to be done, I delegate. I don't have one of these open-door policies like most people do that run a company. I close my door so I can get my work done. And then I put a time to make my calls each day. <clears throat> and then I have an egg timer. I know that sounds childish. I put an egg timer there, and I put down what's the purpose of this call. And when the purpose of that call's over, I want to get off the telephone call. I, I do. I'm not interested in chit chatting I'm talking about when I'm working. When I work, I work. I stay focused on what I work, and I and I learn to do twice as much in half the time in doing that.
0: So, Paul, what um what were some of your initial fears when you were starting your own business? A lot of people listening out there, you know, deal with that uh, that that inside voice, and you know, that says that maybe they're not good enough, and you know, maybe not, you know, not them. It's somebody else that could be successful. How did you overcome some of your own inhibitions in the early stages?
1: Uh, number one, I never had any. I enter every day without giving mental recognition to the possibility of defeat. I was fortunate my mother taught me the IR theory when I was uh, only about 12 years old. She told me who I am was my identity, and from a 1 to 10, how would I rate myself? And she said to rate yourself a 10 the rest of your life. But do not let anyone, anytime, ever say anything or do anything that affects who you are and your identity. You're a 10 and you you came in this world at 10, you're going out at 10. You started the day at 10, you're gonna finish the day at 10. And uh, and then of course, I was taught uh, not to worry. Norman Vincent Peale was a friend of mine, and he said 92% of what we worry about never happens. I just never worry, it never dawns on me. You win some, you lose some, and some get rained out. I never had any fail, I just have a temporary setback, but I don't pay any attention to it. It just rolls off my back like water off a duck's back. And the same way with objections. If somebody gives me an objection, uh, I look at I look at a problem as an opportunity. When if God closes one door, He opens another door, just like He did with the insurance. If the insurance door hadn't have been closed so tightly, maybe I wouldn't be in the self improvement business. I mean, I, I love obstacles. I love problems. You know, in every adversity, there's a seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. If you believe it, look for it, and work for it. But you got to believe it, and you have to, and you have to work for it, and you have to look for it.
0: So if you were to summarize uh, in a paragraph, Paul, what has made you a success, what
1: would you say? I'd say my attitude. Attitude's everything. I I, I have that sign in my office. I climbed the second tallest mountain in the continental United States at eight seventy to celebrate my 70th birthday and held up a sign that said attitude is everything. I went down around South America on the maiden voyage with the Queen Mary and took down at the South Pole as far as I could get. I held up a sign that said attitude is everything. I went scuba diving out here one day and took a sign down to the bottom of the ocean. It said, "When you're down at the bottom, attitude is everything. So, no matter where you are or what you're doing, it all has to do with attitude.' And uh, and then I have a will not. I have an. I will not be denied attitude. I mean, that's an incredible thing to have. I, I I I look to. I don't look to my weakness. I look to my strength. I don't look to my problems. I look to my power. It's just. It's just. It's. It's all about attitude.
0: Paul, what, what do you read or study to keep yourself constantly learning, growing, and improving?
1: I read uh, uh, I read all the success magazines. I read other sales publications. I read uh, business publications. I read investment publications. I read, uh, I read uh, uh, personal development books by other authors. Um, I'm an omnivorous reader. I read about two or three hours every night. I mean, I love to, I love to read, so I don't, I don't expect anybody else to be able to, re- to like to do, to do that. But I just, uh, I I have, a, I have a learning mode 24 hours a day, and I'm curious. I, I ask a lot of questions. I want to learn and learn and learn and learn so I can contribute and contribute and contribute.
0: So from the mouth of Paul J. Meyer, why should people read Success Magazine? Uh,
1: so they can uh, stay motivated. So they can learn from the leading experts in the field of personal development. And so they can, well, I put it this way. Uh you cannot read that magazine without getting ideas that you can apply every single day to whatever you're doing. It would be impossible if you read the read the publication from cover to cover. Each issue would be worth a hundred a 1, thousand or ten times ten thousand times the cost of the subscription. There isn't any investment anybody could possibly make that'll give you the return that it would if you read this magazine.
0: I appreciate that. So, you know, last question, Paul, before we uh, we end our session here. Um, if you had somebody in front of you that was about to give up on their dream, that they didn't think it was possible, what would you say to them to encourage them not to give up?
1: I tell them 90% of all failure comes from quitting. Uh, all, I've, I've met so many people in business, they would just turn one more corner or wait one more day, they'd have it. Or or like the famous story about the person that was digging in a gold mine and gave up and somebody bought the gold mine for five bucks, he dug three feet further and he hit gold. Uh, well, that, that's the way it is. Uh, I, I, knew, I do know this. If you get an idea, Darren, if you get an idea or a visualization that our creator put in your head, I don't think he would mock us and make a fool out of us. If you get the idea, you're able to put the wheels under it and make it roll and wings on it and make it fly. And if you need the money, you get the money. If you need the ideas, you get the ideas. If you need the people, you get the people. The whole secret is do not give up. Do not give up. Never, 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 never quit. One last question. I
0: can't help myself, Paul. At the end of this amazing life that you've led, what do you want to most be remembered for?
1: I guess for uh, uh, taking the self-improvement industry to a new level, opening the world's door to the unbelievable future everyone can enjoy by learning about the personal achievement principles. And uh, I just think uh, I, I cannot tell you how emotional I am to know that you and your associates have this success magazine now and what you're going to be able to do with it and how you're going to be able to communicate and how, what a strong force it's going to be to carry on the legacy that I started uh, years ago, over 50 years ago with this industry.
0: It's an honor to take the uh, the baton and, and carry it forward from you, Paul. This has truly been a pleasure, and I know that I've gained some some personal insights and inspiration from my own goals and ambitions by listening to you today. I hope those that listening have also. And one of the fundamental philosophies Paul has taught for over the last 40-plus years is spaced repetition, which in short means if you want this information to seep into your mind, spirit, attitudes, thus results, then you should re-listen to this at least six to eight times to cause it to have an impact in your life.